Bidzy Small Business Society number 116. You're listening to Bitsy Small Business Society. I'm Rob Beresoff. We talk to small business owners about what makes their small business successful. Connect with Bitsy Small Business Society at bitsy.com and grow your business. Bidsy.com is the website that connects customers and respected local businesses. Customers post projects for free in any of over 100 categories, including all types of home renovation, landscaping, cleaning services, photography, and many, many more. Now, if you're a business, Bidzy.com is a great way to find new customers because you are automatically notified each time a customer posts a project in your subscribed categories. So, for example, let's say you own a roofing company and a customer posts a project in our roofing category. You are automatically notified via email or text, and you can submit a bid at bidzy.com or use our internal chat system to introduce yourself to the customer and give them reasons why they should use you to complete their project. Monthly subscriptions start at $14.99. That's $14.99 per month for unlimited access to new customers and unlimited bidding at bidzy.com. Email rob at bidzy.com for more details or start your 30-day free trial now at bidzy.com. Welcome to this episode of Bidzy Small Business Society. Today, I am chatting with Richard R.B. Bottle. R.B. is the founder and CEO of Stage 32, which is a social networking resource for creatives with a membership of over 600,000. As a screenwriter, producer, actor, and filmmaker, RB understands the challenges that creatives will face in their careers, and his company, Stage 32, acts as a resource and that community that people can lean on when they are facing the challenges of their own. So welcome, RB. I appreciate you making the time for me today. Can you first tell us more about yourself than about what projects you're working on today? Sure. Great to be here, Rob. Thanks for having me. Um... Well, I mean, you know, we're working on a bunch of different things on the professional and, and the creative side. On the professional side, Stage 32, as you mentioned, is now uh, over 600,000 uh, film, television, and theater creatives strong uh, worldwide. Uh, we are also the leading educational platform for people working in film, television, and theater. And we are up over 1,000 hours of education on the site, which we're very proud of. Um, you know, Forbes called us LinkedIn meets Linda for people in film, television, and theater. We're pretty pleased with that uh, comparison, I guess you would say. So we're working right now. I mean, as far as Stage 32 is concerned, we, we just worked on a, a whole new version of the site that we've been launching in stages that we're very excited about. We're introducing some new educational opportunities for our members worldwide. We're doing a lot of geo-targeting educa- uh, geo-targeted education uh, because, you know, filmmaking all over the world, the business is different in different areas, you know, be it tax incentives, visas and things like that that you have to worry about. So we're very sensitive to the needs of all our members worldwide. And we're doing um, so. We're doing a bunch of efforts uh, in that direction to help uh, all film creatives globally. And then on the creative side, uh, you know, doing the producing thing, uh, doing the screenwriting thing. One of my scripts is in development at Covert Media. Uh, we just attached the director. We just went out to some actors this week, and uh, you know, an exciting time on that front too. Anytime you have a project that gets off the ground, which this one is moving pretty quickly. Um, it's always an exciting time. It's the reason you do it. You know, it's the reason why you go through any creative in this business. will tell you that 
the challenges are great. And sometimes you wonder why the hell you go through them all. But you know, <laughs> when, when things start to roll, you remember why you got it in the first place. Certainly want to talk about more, some more of those challenges and your successes, RB. But uh, first, uh, you don't sound like a native to uh, Hollywood. Where are you from originally? <laughs> no, I am a, uh, a native New Yorker. I am, I'm Brooklyn and Staten Island. I uh, spent most of my life in New York. And, uh, you know, you can take the guy out of New York, but you can't take New York out of the guy. Kind of thing. <laughs> All right. So Stage 32 is not just a networking tool. This is a big-time uh, educational tool as well is what I'm hearing. Yeah. I mean, you know, when Forbes called this LinkedIn Meets Linda, and if you're not familiar with what Linda is, Linda is uh, the largest educational platform on the Internet, on the web the interwebs. And uh, this, we were called LinkedIn Meets Linda by Forbes. And we were very pleased with that at the time. And then we were much more pleased when LinkedIn bought Linda uh, for $1.5 billion a couple of months later. So we were very pleased with that comparison. And now, of course, Microsoft has bought uh, LinkedIn. But, you know, it wasn't enough when, when I conceived this platform literally back in 2009. We didn't launch until 2011. I didn't convince myself to, to actually go forth with it until 2011. My goal was to not only be the world's largest uh, networking site for film, television, and theater creators, but to bring education worldwide. And one of the reasons why that was so important to me is, you know, I started as an actor in New York, and uh, it was easy to find acting classes and support, you know, in the acting community in New York. But it wasn't, you know, when I started moving around the country and sometimes doing theater in other areas, you know, I, I recognized the challenges for creatives working in sort of the non- Hollywood, non-New York uh, theater kind of areas. And what I would hear is that either there was a dearth of education or that the people who were online teaching education or teaching uh, acting or screenwriting or filmmaking or producing were simply not qualified and taking advantage of people. So when I started writing, uh, probably back in about 2009 as well, uh, you know, I got to see that firsthand when I went looking for education on the screenwriting side, you know, the rewriting process and things like that, things that, you know, sort of uh, hone my craft. I found that there were a lot of snake oil salesmen and and people preying on the so-called innocence uh, that come into this arena every single day. These people who want to be actors and writers and, and are following their uh, creative pursuits. And I vowed at that point that if Stage 32 took off on the networking side and if we gained traction where people were communicating with one another and connecting with one another and finding jobs and, and finding financing and, and filling their cast and crew needs and things along those lines, that I would bring education uh, to the community as well and at a high level. So during the first two years while we were creating and, and cultivating the platform and cultivating the community – I was out there making connections and, and people on my staff as well were out there making connections with people in the industry who were doing it, people who were in the trenches, people who had climbed to the top of the mountain, uh, people who wanted to give back, mentors in the in the arena um, and saying to them, look, you know, in, in a year or so, we're going to be launching some education and would you want to be a part of that? Would you want to give back? Would you want to participate? And overwhelmingly, uh, we found that people were not only more than – were not only willing, they were more than willing – and that was really exciting for us. So we, we launched our education back in about 2013, and now we're up over 1,000 hours of education. We work with over 500 educators worldwide um, in film industry, film, television, theater industries all around the world to uh, bring education and information to our members. So we're very, very proud of that. 
just great. The power of networking. It sounds like you did that networking before you even launched and you sort of figured out the niche. You've, you've found your niche based on that networking, right? Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because I think that that's something that's a lost art with networking on the web in, in all walks, no matter what your profession is, is that I think people don't realize that it's all about cultivating relationships. And, you know, it, a lot of people come onto social media and they just go out there and start blasting people with an ask. You know, they, they want this, they want that. Can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? And it's, you know, akin to walking up to a stranger on the street and, and asking for a favor. You know, you're not, your success rate's not going to be too high. Um, so, you know, I'm a big believer uh, in cultivating relationships. I'm actually writing a book for on film crowdsourcing for Focal Press that they asked me to write. And this is part of this is uh, the gist of the book is this idea about cultivating relationships and building credibility and building your brand uh, before you go in and, and ask for anything. So the idea of going to these educators a year ahead of time and saying, look, we're not ready yet, but here's the plan. And oh, by the way, here's the social proof within the site of all these people communicating and, you know, using this platform to find work. And, uh, you know, like I said, the cast and crew up their films or to find financing or to find representation, this is all happening. And it's very, very real. And it's very evident. And if you go in there, you'll see it happening firsthand. And they, you know, a lot of these educators did. And then when it was time to pull the plug on the ask, the brand was already established. My credibility was already established. My, my staff's credibility was already established. And it was much easier for people to say yes, because they saw what we were doing and they saw that we were uh, very serious about it and that we were people of our word. So, you know, it takes a long time. You have to, you have to spend time cultivating those relationships and uh, making it as much about the other person as you do about yourself or actually making it much more about the other person than you make it about yourself. Absolutely. Now, RB, it sounds like you started your business partially at least based on your own need, but let's have a little bit of fun right now with this question. How did you get your start in the film industry in New York? Can you take us back to like your first gig, for instance? Yeah, it's interesting because I had really had no desire to be an actor, to be honest with you. I, I had always loved film. Ever since I was a little kid, I was sort of the... Um, I wouldn't say black sheep of the family, but I was definitely the the uh, the only one that was really interested in the arts. And as you know, a lot of my family liked to go to movies, but they had no interest in being involved in it. And I had sort of a double uh, interest in it, in that I I really enjoyed the creative side of things, especially the filmmaking side. I was very into directors and how they you know told stories with images. I loved that as a kid, but I also really loved the business end. I loved following what was doing what at the box office and what what studios were were making what films and you know things like that and, and it just stayed with me for a long time and it wasn't you know I did a lot of writing when I was younger at you know uh, more journalist uh, you worked as a journalist a little bit worked as uh, did some radio and writing for radio and wrote a novel when I was in my early 20s that I never did anything with and but I was always writing uh, and always had those creative pursuits but then I was in college and I took a drama class and along with film classes and I and I took you know acting as a way to help inform my writing, because a lot of people will tell you if you're a writer, you should take some acting classes. It helps you write good dialogue and understand what actors are looking for. And I totally agree with that. And I was really kind of the the impetus to do it. And I found that I really enjoyed it. And I found that I was decent at it. I wouldn't say I was phenomenal, but I was pretty decent at it. I could hold my own. And and uh, that led to some some theater gigs in college and, and, uh, some plays that we put on. And then it kind of extended from there to doing some theater in New York and off Broadway stuff in New York. And, uh, that was sort of the evolution of it all. I got the bug 
And, uh, you know, I stayed with that for a while until I started a, a magazine called Razor in the early 2000s that played in the, in the marketplace with Maxim and Esquire and GQ. And that kind of took me away from that a little bit, but got me back into writing and got me back into the uh, whole Hollywood scene and, and working uh, with people in the industry, which led to a bunch of things that even have, uh, you know, relationships that are even in my life as we speak right now. So it was this, you know, sort of. I wouldn't say accident, but it was sort of this, uh, you know, I kind of went in with one purpose into my, into an acting class and came out uh, with the bug. Let's talk about this now. Talk about some of your challenges in film with your business or otherwise, but what sticks out as the biggest challenge and what steps did you take to embrace and overcome it? Well, I think on the business side of things, when we were first starting out, a lot of people were sort of in the mindset of why do I need another social network? Why do I need another platform when I'm on Facebook and I'm on LinkedIn and then, you know, when you start talking to creatives and you say, okay, well, what are you getting out of LinkedIn? Usually I would say 99 times out of a hundred, if I ask a creative, an actor or a director or a producer or a screenwriter, what they get out of, um, LinkedIn, the answer is nothing. Uh, it's not built. The platform has its place, of course, but it's not built for creatives. A lot of times you use it as a kind of a vanity metric, that number there, right? Yeah, I think that's very, very true. And I, to some degree, and I think people push their own agendas on, on LinkedIn. I mean, I have a lot of connections on LinkedIn. I'm on there more as a CEO of a company than I am as a, you know an actor, writer, producer. And you know, I go into my stream every once in a blue moon, and I mean, it's filled with political, you know, people bashing Trump, people bashing Hillary, math equations, model shots. I mean, it, it's nothing that makes me want to sit there and do anything. Now, like I said, if you're a, a you know business professional in, in a blue collar or white collar industry, you know, it may work for you, but for creatives, I just don't see it. And then, you know, Facebook, I, I never had any connection with because it's, you know, more of a friends and family thing to me, even within creative groups, I found that people were more inclined to share pictures of their kids than they were to share uh, war stories, you know, creative war stories or information that could help people. So it was a challenge to get people to understand that the, my belief that niche social networks was where social media was going, you know, back in 2011 to convince people that that was the case and that concentrated networking is the best kind of networking for your career and that it is worth the time investment, it, that was a challenge to get people to understand that. Now, today, it's much less of a challenge because you're able to point to 600,000 people on the site and we're able to point to you know a myriad of success stories and there's so much social proof. I mean, we just came back from the Cannes Film Festival where 33 stage 32 members had over 50, I think it was 54, 55 films at the festival and that's, that's big time social wow, proof. great stuff, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of these filmmakers uh, found their cast and crew, and some of them even found their financing through our platform, through Stage 32. So that's, you know, now it's easier with the social proof. But at the beginning, that was definitely probably the biggest challenge was, well, why do I need another one? Exactly. Like, I mean, there's just so many platforms out there. So that community is growing like crazy, like you said. And like I said earlier, this is 600,000 strong right now, and this is growing. And you've also got a massive social media following. Help our listeners understand what you did to gain that initial traction. What would you recommend to the up-and-coming entrepreneur or small business owner about, you know, just, again, gaining that initial traction? Yeah, I yeah, definitely. I you know, I it's interesting because I was never a big social media guy. You know, I kind of alluded to it in the, with the the last question. 
I didn't see the need for Facebook. I didn't want to share what I was having for lunch. I didn't need to tell everybody where I was going, you know, <laughs> at a particular time. I just didn't need to do it. You know, I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a private person, but to a certain extent I am. And, you know, I, I, I have to live a very public life being in front of this company, but there are certain things I like to keep private. The, with the brand, with stage 32, you know, I, I took over or I launched the Twitter account, for example, from day one and I had to establish the brand. And what is the brand? Well, the brand is collaboration. I mean, now it's much more evolved, but at that time it was collaboration and networking and support and information. And that's what we wanted to push out there. So I've made a concentrated effort from day one to constantly ask creatives that were following me, what do they need? What did, what do they look for? Where is, where are they lacking on social media? What are the challenges they face? Where do they find that there is an information overload and a dearth of information constantly sort of polling my following to, you know, say, what are the challenges? What are the obstacles? What do you need? That went a long way for engagement and to get people involved with the brand and then to be able to present content from within the site, uh, you know, again, social proof from within the site, things that were happening inside the, in, inside the platform that I could bring to my following on social media as an example of what they could get inside the site, but are doing it in a very selfless way to say, look, you know, here's a challenge for you. Well, here's an article about it. Uh, you know, you're looking for a producer. Here's some people you can connect with on the site. You're looking for a job. Here's some jobs that are listed on the site, you know, to make it more about them than about us, but at the same time, establishing the brand. So I think that, you know, the big mistake that a lot of people make on social media and especially new businesses and small businesses that hop on the web and they, you know, they immediately have this, if they, if you build it, they will come mentality and they just go out, start, and they start, you know, sort of carpet bombing the hillside with information about their company or blasting people or mass following people and shoving information down their throat. That's not engagement. And people lose the word social and social media more often than you would think. <laughs> you need to be a communicator. You need to be an engager. And in a big, big, big time way, and this is something that I would say maybe 70, 80% of people, especially people who run businesses or are promoting businesses on social media, forget you need to be a listener. You need to listen. You need to hear what your followers are telling you or asking you for, and you need to be able to respond to that, make sure that you're responding to that, be engaging about it, be selfless about it. And, you know, it's okay to ask, but I always say, you know, for every three, for every four posts you make, three should be about your community, three should be about your followers, and one, and then one can be about you. But even that one that's about you, that ask, needs to be, needs to have a benefit to the people who are following you. This is why you're asking it, because, you know, it's not only about me, it's about you guys as well. And that's the, that's the brand that we kind of established with Stage 32 is that we're all in this together. I mean, one of the advantages that I have being the CEO of this company is that I'm not just a business guy. I'm just like everybody else on that site. I'm scratching and clawing as a creative every day, uh, you know, to get the next project done, to, uh, you know, get the next collaboration off the ground. So there's a sense of uh, camaraderie there that's undeniable. And that's part of the brand as well. Obviously, you're speaking a language of your network. And I think just to boil this thing down, you're saying very simply – uh, in layman's terms, ask questions, listen, mm -hmm. and give mm -hmm. some value. Offer some value to your to the people you're asking those questions to, right? That's exactly right. I mean, the, the, I, I alluded to the book I'm writing on film crowdsourcing for Focal. I mean, the idea of crowdsourcing, the idea of building your brand, you know, the, the idea of crowdsourcing for film 
is not specific to just, you know, just the film. Crowdsourcing is something that we do every day when we're trying to establish a brand. And if you're running a business, the whole idea, of course, is to establish that brand. The way to do that is by identifying, engaging, and moving your audience. And it's that's in the most simplistic terms that I could possibly lay out there. You identify your audience. Who are the people that are going to be interested in your type of business? You make sure that you're following them on, on social media or, or you're engaging them on social media. So you, you're, and that's actually the second step is engaging them. How do you engage them? Well, you have to ask questions. You have to be involved in their lives. You have to be involved in what's important to them. And you have to be responsive. You can't just sit there and go a month without responding to people asking questions or people tweeting back on you if you're on Twitter, for example. You need to be in there and being be engaging in a way that's very, very selfless and, and it is about you know your followers. And then finally, you got to move that audience, right? Well, you can't move that audience without identifying engage, and engaging them first. You get to move them. When you've established your brand and when you've established your credibility, perfect example of this, if you sign up for stage 32 from day one, we've asked, you know, one of the, you get a message from me and I ask you, if you like the platform and you like what we're doing here, please invite five fellow creators. It helps us make the community stronger. It helps us create more opportunity within the community. People at the beginning we're a little bit skeptical of that because they're like, well, we don't know who you are. We don't want to vouch for you. And that was very fair. Okay. That's why I said, look around the site, hang around for a while, see if you like what we're doing. And then ask, you know, please, if you like what we're doing, send those five invites at least. Today, we got the response to that welcome message is enormously more successful because we've established ourselves as this brand that stresses collaboration, that's, that stresses user success, that's, uh, that stresses a positive environment, which is an incredibly positive environment. You know, we have very, very, very few trolls, excuse me, few, few trolls or, or people that uh, cause problems. So by establishing that brand, by spending that time, so much time to, to identify and engage, you know, creatives and then establish that brand, it becomes much easier for us to go in and go for the ask. And, and it, it makes the ask that much more successful. Absolutely. Powerful, actionable stuff here, RB. Thanks for that. I hope our listeners go back and slow that down and take some notes. Again, really actionable stuff there. Now, for these last few questions, it may seem like I'm jumping around a bit, RB, but I'm going to just get into these. So why do you do what you do? Why is it so great to be Richard RB Botto? <laughs> Where do you want me to begin? No, I mean, what I love what I do. And the reason I love what I do is because I genuinely, and this is going to sound, you know, this might, if you don't know me, this might sound like really, I don't know, egotistical in a way, but I really do believe this platform is changing lives. I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't, let me say, let me rephrase that. I know it's changing lives because of all the letters the emails, the private messages uh, I receive, the people who approach me at film festivals and at conferences I'm speaking at that come up and say, you know, you kept me in the game, or if it wasn't for this platform, we wouldn't have gotten this project off the ground, or, or you know, I would have quit, or, you know, I wouldn't have found the financing, or, you know, whatever. It, we hear it all the time, and it, and it means something to me. As a creative, I have a very collaborative spirit. I always have. And I do believe that, you know, you put good out into the world and it comes back to you. I do believe in that. And I think that, you know, it's been to, to be able to get up every day and communicate with other creatives. And, you know, we're our own special breed in a way 
um, for better or for worse. And, you know, but to give support to other creatives and to give them a platform that gives them the inspiration and the motivation to proceed uh, is just it's just beyond words in a lot of ways. And then on the creative side, it's great because, you know, I'm getting to do what I love. I, I do love the creative process. I do love the collaborative process. You know, a perfect example is I said, like I said earlier, the screenplay right now, that's just about to move into pre-production. The people that I'm working with on, the, you know, the director and the producers and the casting directors and everything like that, they're all wonderful people and they're all very, um, collaborative people and they're very selfless people and they do their jobs well. And when you're involved in an environment like that, where everybody, where it's an all for one mentality, there really is nothing better. I mean, you know, you wake up every day and, and you look forward to, you know, talking to people that are in your circle. And, and, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate that I have 600,000 people in my circle that all have a pretty, similar goal, a common goal of, of seeing their creative pursuits, uh, bear fruit. And there's nothing more rewarding than that. There really isn't great stuff. And I'm thinking more and more about your platform as you speak. I'm just thinking about all the different posts, all the different profiles, all the different statuses I would have to wade through, say on Facebook, for instance, uh, to, you know, sort of cut through all the noise and reach that one person that I would get to on stage 32 without all that noise. Right. Well, and that's it. That's why that's why niche social networks to me are much more powerful than the broad-based social networks. I value my time as everybody really should. I, you know, running this business and then trying to have a creative uh, career as well. There's not a lot of hours in the day, free hours in the day, and I have to maximize my time the best that I can. And I certainly just do not really have the time to sit on Facebook and try to wade through to find that one producer that, you know, I might want to collaborate with or that, you know, those actors that I'm looking to cast and something that I'm involved with. It's, you know, to have a concentrated platform where it's so easy to go search for people and understand what they're doing if they're filling out the bios and handling themselves right, of course. Um, it makes it so much easier and it saves so much time. But at the same time, again, you know that every single person on that platform is involved, you know, with a creative pursuit. And that makes it a hell of a lot easier. Can you tell us why is it so important to have a coach or a mentor in business or in life? Well, I think it's very important. I think that one of the, the, uh, Great things about the internet is has it's made it easier to get in contact with people who might not have been available to you previously. I, you know, I, I've spoken about this on a on a, a few other shows, and and sometimes when I give talks, I, I kind of use it almost as a cautionary kind of thing. But I was very, I didn't take advantage of people who wanted to mentor me or, you know, I didn't pursue it in the way I should. And it's, I wouldn't say it's a gigantic regret because, you know, I leaned on some people and everything like that, but, but there have been times where I was like, man, I wish I would have pushed that a little bit harder. And I recommend it to everybody that you, you find a mentor and you find somebody that is uh, willing to give back. Cause there are so many people who are willing to give back, you know, for me now being in this position business wise, well, I don't. I wouldn't say I have one particular mentor that is guiding me along and helping me navigate this, you know, uh, this path of scaling and everything like that. I do have maybe twenty or thirty people in my circle who run businesses, who have run businesses that have scaled much bigger than what we where we're at right now as far as employees and everything like that. And I lean on them all the time for advice. I wouldn't say that you know we're checking in once a week or anything like that, but they're the types that 
uh, type of people that if, you know, I, I shoot them a text or I shoot them an email and say, Hey, you know, how would you navigate this? How would you handle that? They're, they're very responsive and they're very honest and they're very selfless about it. And it, it, it's invaluable. I mean, it's just absolutely invaluable to have that core group of people that I can lean on to get, uh, honest and real feedback. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's incredibly important. If I could go back a little bit, I think I would have chased it a little bit, uh, more seriously and tried to find, you know, one or two people that I could have, uh, called on 24, seven, 365. And I just say, if you have the opportunity that you don't push it aside, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just invaluable. Can you give us two or three online influencers that you might be following right now? Well, I mean, I like to read, I, you know, I wouldn't say there are actual, you know, I mean, I, I read a lot of the stuff on Inc. I mean, there are a lot of people that are doing, uh, you know, they have a lot of very good contributors, you know, even the Cubans of this world who have their, you know, they're good and they're, they're good and their bad insights, you know, some stuff I agree with, some, some stuff I don't, but it's always compelling and it's always uh, thought provoking. There are a lot of people like that out there that um, I, that I think Inc. does a good job in, in curating the content. And uh, so I'll check things like that quite often. You know, uh, I, I don't try to listen to only one voice because I do think that we live in a time, especially when it comes to business, uh, you know, the entrepreneurship has never been more in vogue. So there are, of course, when that happens, there are more people that are venturing out on their own. There are, of course, more voices that want to tell you that they're experts. And, you know, you get the seven tips to do this and the five tips to do that. And, and it's noisy the, out there, you bet. Yeah. And they all contradict one another. So <laughs> I tell people all the time that it's, it's, you know, go out there and digest information, but parse it. Uh, don't take everything as gospel, you know, parse it, make sure that it's right for you. Yeah, uh, a lot of these, you know, business advice columns that I feel like sometimes, are, you know, it, it might be good for one, not for others, organizational things, things like that. But I think it's okay to uh, digest a lot of media when it comes to running a business and being an entrepreneur. But I think that you have to uh, be very, very selective in a lot of ways as to what voices you take as gospel and and what other ones, you know, uh, you need to kind of parse, digest, and mold for your own good. Now, in the interest of time, I might be jumping around here a little bit again, RB, like I said earlier, but uh, next question is this. Do you love to win or hate to lose and why? Oh, man, what a great question. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love asking this one. That's a great question. Um, I love to win, I think. I don't because I don't think about losing. I, I, I love to find the path to victory. I, you know, I, I love setting, you know, sort of personal goals. I love, although I don't get crazy with them. I don't have like a list of a thousand of them. I, you know, kind of internally sit there and say, I want this to happen by this time, or, you know, this is the initiative and these are the people that we're going to attack. And, you know, my whole thing is to win every day. So I would say that I, I love to win, uh, is much bigger than, you know, hate to lose. I don't look at anything as losing. I look at everything as an experience. If things don't go the way that I believe that there's something to learn, not only in every failure, but in every, you know, if it didn't go exactly the way you wanted it to go, I don't necessarily look at that as a failure, but there's definitely something to learn within everything. So I never look at it as losing. I look at everything as a learning experience. So I would definitely say that I love to win. Just gaining those experience points. Absolutely. Now give us something actionable. What are you doing to wind down after a long or stressful day? 
Well, I, you know, I do stuff in the morning as well. I, you know, I, I, there's two different stages to this. I, I make sure that I dedicate, uh, the mornings, you know, sometimes it's to exercising unless I'm pressed for time. I try to do, you know, my working out in the morning and clear my head and, and get ready for the day. I also spend the mornings every day reading the trades. And, and even though that sounds like work, it's not, it, it's work related. Of course, it's definitely important that I have to know what's going on in the industry. It's vital. I know what's going on in the industry, but I actually really enjoy it. And I find it relaxing. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I try to make it a point to, uh, see friends outside of my business if I, if possible. And if it's friends inside the business, not really talk about business, but you know, again, if I didn't get to work out in the morning, I'll work out at night. If it's the rare night that I am home, I put the phone off to the side. If I, you know, if I can put the computer off to the side and, and, you know, watch a movie, watch a documentary, catch, you know, binge watch a show. If, if, you know, if I get that rare night that I can do that, I take advantage of it, but I am a firm believer in disconnecting and, uh, that you need to do it. I've gotten pretty good at it. Uh, you know, and taking advantage of the time to, to clear your head, you get to a point where too much, you know, I work a ton of hours. I mean, there are days that I work 18, 20, sometimes, you know, more to be honest with you, all nighters and things like that. But I recognize that that's, maybe a necessity in the moment and not, it shouldn't be something that's every day and that there eventually, uh, is going to be diminishing returns, you know, by doing that. So I do try to disconnect and free up, uh, you know, a couple of hours of every day, like I said, to do some exercising or to, you know, uh, hang out with friends and things like that. Yeah, man, it's tough disconnecting with all of the nonstop notifications coming through. That is to be sure. So. Well, I'll, I'll throw something out there. I, I disabled all push connections on my phone. I mean, I get my texts and things like that, but social media wise and everything like that, I don't have push notifications on. If I am going to sit down, if I do have that rare night when I am home or if I'm going to a movie or something like that, the if I'm home, the phone is away from me. I make sure it's someplace where I'm not going to be distracted during the movie. Uh, if I'm at the movies, you know, it's going off. So it's not buzzing in my pocket every five minutes. I'm wondering what the hell's going on. You, you have to find a way to disconnect. And there's really, look, having your push notifications on, having your phone on all the time, putting your phone next to your bed, which I also don't do. Um, that's a choice. And so when people say, man, it's just so hard to disconnect, I sit there and say, look, that's bullshit. Part of my language. It's bullshit because it's choice. Everything in life is a choice. Okay. And if you sit down all day long and you sit there and go, man, what's causing me the most stress? What's causing me? Oh, it's because, you know, I, you know, I sit down to do some work, right? You know, I, I'm going to write today, but you know, my phone is bouncing off the, well, it's a choice to have your phone there. It's a choice not to shut it off. It's a choice to have you push notifications on, you know, it's a choice to return that phone call when it could wait till the next day. You know, everybody is in control of their own time. And I think people lose sight of that. And I think a lot of people make excuses instead of finding solutions. And I just think it's important to note that you need to open these emails and respond to these messages on your own clock, RB, not on the clock of the person sending them to you, right? 1,000%. That's something I learned with emails as well. I was an email fiend. Everything had to get returned right away. What I've learned is that you know my priorities are my own. And if my priorities don't mesh with the person that's emailing me, it's not to be disrespectful or texting me or calling me. It's not to be disrespectful, but if it's not urgent, it, you know, I need to be able to return that call or email or text on my time. And, uh, I think that's a lost heart with a lot of business people as well. And most people understand that. Listen, if, if I send something to somebody and I don't get a response for two or three days, I'm not offended by that. I know, you know, usually the person's busy or they have other things going on and, and, you know, 
as long as they respond to me at some point. And sometimes you got to ping somebody back. I mean, that's fine too. You can't be offended by it. Sure. Different people have different systems for working through email, especially, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So now let's boil this thing down, RB. What is the one thing you want to share with our listeners about achieving success in business or in life in general? Well, I think that it's, you know, I think you're in more control than you think you are. I think we just talked about choices. I think that choices go a long way into, you know, your your success or failure in a lot of ways. I think that you need to be adaptable. I, I think that most people are very, very rigid in the way that they look at the world and the way that they look at their business. And you can't you can't be that way. You need to be moldable in a lot of ways, you know, for lack of a better word. Um, but you need to you, that needs to come from yourself. I think that most people try to control everything. And the reality is you can only control what you can control. If you do your work right, if you followed your plan, uh, executed it to perfection and it doesn't work. Okay. That's okay. You have to, you have to twist, you have to turn, but you've controlled what you can control. And I think that that's something that a lot of people don't really get. They try to force the issue. They keep staying the course when something's not working and they, and they don't adjust. They don't, I don't want to use the word pivot cause I don't like that, but, but they don't adjust. They don't adjust on the fly and they don't, they don't take a, well, they don't take a step back and really evaluate what went wrong honestly and try to learn from it. For sure. In my decade plus in retail sales and management, man, I'd always say to myself every day and to my employees, man, you just got to be a chameleon. You got to just learn to adapt to your environment. I think that's what you're saying, right, RB? It's exactly what I'm saying. You just can't be rigid in in your belief system. You know, if, if something is not working, you know, don't keep, you know, if, if the water, don't, don't, if, if the boat's taking on water, don't, bail more water into the boat, start bailing the water out of the boat and figure out what went wrong. Why did it start coming in to begin with? Where's the hole? Um, and that's the reason why a lot of be honest, I mean, to be blunt, and I've seen it happen a million times to friends and family. It, it, it's one of the reasons why a lot of businesses fail is because the people who are running it, the people at the top are just not willing to be chameleons or the, to adapt or to listen to their audience or you know, even to listen to the silence if you're not getting a response and, and figure out why – if you're not getting a response, I should say, and figure out why that is. So uh, it's, it's vitally important that you, know, you take the pulse – of your own business and of everything that you're doing every day and, uh, you know, making sure it's all healthy. RB, we're winding down here a little bit. I want to ask you this. What does the future look like for you and your business? Well, you know, we're staying the course with a lot of stuff. I mean, we're obviously on, on the stage 32 side, the, uh, you know, networking and the education and the jobs all take center stage with everything that we're doing every day. We are starting to expand our scope a little bit more with, you know, how we can help our community even uh, recognize more success. So we have a bunch of plans in the work for that that I, I have to be that vague about because you know, we're all, you know, in the sort of early stages. We're having discussions, been having meetings all over Hollywood about this for the last few months uh, about ways that we can uh, shine the light on our members. So that's very exciting. On the creative side, I'm, you know, ex- extremely excited, obviously, about the movie. I have a couple of other things that I'm circling on the producing side that I'm very excited about another writing project that's uh, in the works, finishing up this damn book. <laughs> it's been <laughs> hanging around for a year and a half. Um, so a lot of really exciting stuff, but it's, you know, uh, it's all in the creative realm. And, in, and, and I always look, I always say like, if you're a creative, you're an entrepreneur as well. So this sort of entrepreneurial spirit that flows through me and the people in the community 
uh, is kind of universal. So just enjoying the process and, and looking forward to helping as many people as I can along the way. Awesome, man. If people want that help, if people want to learn more about your business and your community at stage32.com, which is obviously where they can connect, how else can they find you, RB? Great. Yeah. If you go to stage32.com and you sign up, you will have my mug on your wall with my welcome message. I respond to every single post. Every time, every time you see my face on that site, that is me. I don't have people answering for me. I think I have my tech team told me I'm up over, I think, 350,000 posts on the site or some crazy, ridiculous number like that. They're all me. So that's one way you can get me. On Twitter I am and Instagram, I am RB, my initials, RB, walks into a bar. Um, Great handle, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. People will tell you that that's very sort of uh, autobiographical, I guess. Um, And uh, let me think of some other ways. Well, Twitter, uh, Instagram. I am on LinkedIn, but again, I I I use it very sparingly and I use it mostly for business, you know, as a CEO, not really as a creative. So if you're creative and you're listening, uh, please do feel free to connect with me on Stage 32. RB, I know you're a very busy man. I'll let you get back to it. Thank you so much for making the time for me today on Bidzy Small Business Society, man. You take care. Thank you for having me, Rob. This was a lot of fun. Great questions, and uh, thank you. It was great. Bidzy.com is the website that connects customers and respected local businesses. Customers list goods or services they need, and businesses bid on them. Customers, if you're looking for a service provider or a local professional, Go to Bidzy.com and post your projects for free. Businesses, if you're looking for new customers or a way to expand your customer base, sign up for your 30-day free trial today at Bidzy.com. Thank you for joining us today on Bidzy Small Business Society. Go to Bidzy.com for information and resources on how you can grow your business. Support Bidzy Small Business Society by writing a review and giving us a five-star rating in iTunes. Your positive review and five-star rating will allow us to continue bringing you free, valuable content from amazing and inspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners. Rate and review Bidzy Small Business Society today.